life is filled with moments. And to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. It's no fun to live under the hand of God's discipline. It can feel discouraging and lonely. But that doesn't mean He stopped loving you. Far from it. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah describes the inseparable bond between love and discipline. You can't have one without the other. Listen as David introduces today's powerful message, God loves you when he is correcting you. And thank you for joining us. I don't think most of us have any trouble understanding this principle, especially if we've had little children. Uh, We don't allow our little children to play in the front yard because we don't want them to run in the street and get hurt. And they may think that's not fair and it's not loving. It is absolutely loving. When God uh, puts restrictions on us or when he disciplines us or when he corrects us, um, I remember um, when I was playing basketball some years ago, I had a coach who just yelled all the time. I mean, every time. Uh, And one day uh, I was really frustrated with it. And one of my friends who was on the team, actually he wasn't, he was a coach. He was another coach. He put his arm around me. He said, David, don't worry about it when he's yelling at you. When he stops yelling at you, then you should start worrying. Did you notice he doesn't yell at the guys who aren't playing? And, you know, that's a really good illustration, isn't it? That God cares about us because we're his own. We're his kids. We're his His family. And he corrects us. And when he does, he's, he's expressing his love. I know for some of you that's going to take a little more coaxing. So we'll get back at this in just a moment. First, let me tell you a book that will help you understand how God works and how he rules is Nancy DeMoss's wonderful little book, Heaven Rules. Uh, This book is new to the industry. It's just come out a a few weeks ago. As I've mentioned to you, I had the privilege of writing the foreword to this book, which meant uh, I have this little rule that I will never write a foreword to any book that I did not read completely. And I read every word of this book, and I was so blessed by reading it and so honored to be able to write the foreword because... You like to endorse things and encourage people to read things that have blessed you. I know it will bless you because it blessed me. And it helped me to see things in a different way and to be reminded again that when everything's coming unglued down here, God has got it all. He's got it all in control. So when you're feeling a little bit frazzled, a little bit overwhelmed, and this book will be a great encouragement to you. From the book of Daniel, she unfolds for us the sovereignty of God and makes it so practical you can use it every day. I hope you ask for your copy when you send your gift today to Turning Point. We begin the year together with great anticipation for what God's going to do this year. And we need everybody on board to help us. So thank you for your generosity. And please ask for the book when you send your gift. Okay, here's part one of God Loves You When He Is Correcting You. Over the last few years, Don and I have had the opportunity to take several trips to Europe. And I remember the first time we went to Europe, one of the biggest surprises to me was to see how many of the ancient buildings over there were totally black. The cathedrals that I had seen in the pictures of the magazines and the books were not anything like what I expected. 
in some of the cities, all of these ancient buildings, some of them over a thousand years old, had totally become black. The soot and the age and carbon and all of that had literally turned these cathedrals into a different color. We were in Italy and we went to the Leaning Tower of Pisa and there we saw another illustration. They had scaffolding up all around this facility and they were blasting off the dirt and soot that needed to be removed. Johnny Erickson Tata reported that she had the same experience that we did. She was in Paris and went to the Notre Dame Cathedral and was just shocked that that great facility was so covered with blackness that you could not even make out the frescas. You couldn't make out the design on the outside of the building. She said it was depressingly black. And then she said after several years, someone sent her a picture of the building and it had been restored. What had happened was during the intervening years, they had sandblasted the outside of the cathedral and restored it as much as possible to its original view. In her inimitable way, Johnny Erickson Tata said, that's what God does to us in our lives. He sees that we are gathering some of the soot and dirt of the world, and so he has to sandblast us to get us back to the place where we need to be. And she related that to some of the things that had happened in her life. As many of you know, Johnny Erickson Tata is a paraplegic, and she has been in a wheelchair for many years due to an accident she had when she was a teenager. And she has suffered greatly, and we've read about her suffering. Most of us will never suffer like Johnny Erickson Tata. And most of us do not plan to suffer like that. Thank you very much. Most of us would rather have the kind of God that C.S. Lewis describes in one of his writings. He says, we want not so much a father in heaven, we want a grandfather in heaven. And I'm a grandfather, I get that. My kids bring their children to my house and they get by with murder. (laughs) I don't hardly ever discipline them. I just love them. That's what grandfathers are for. I give them things. But fathers are different, aren't they? Fathers have to live with those kids all the time, so they got to take better care of them. And we as Christians, if we're not careful, we fall into this pattern. The C.S. Lewis comment, we want a grandfather in heaven, not a father. Well, I'm here to tell you today that we do not have a grandfather in heaven. We have a father, and the Bible says that we are his children. And in the passage to which we have opened today, we're going to find out that because he is our father, he deals with us as children. Quite often, when you talk about the love of God to people, they will say, well, you know, I don't know if I believe all that love of God stuff. Look what's going on in my life. I've been through a divorce. I lost my house. I lost my job after all these years. How can a loving God allow that kind of stuff in my life? If God really loves me, why doesn't he keep me from all of that? Why does he let this happen to me? And you've heard that too. Some of your friends have asked you that. Well, I want to share with you today that God really loves you. He always has. He always will. And he loves you even when he is correcting you. The Bible tells us that there are occasions when God allows discipline in our lives. There are three basic reasons why discipline comes to us as Christians. Sometimes God allows discipline to punish us. You say, God punishes us? Yes, he's a father. When we do that which is rebellious, disobedient to him, if we do not correct it ourselves, God will get our attention. 
The book of Psalms says it this way, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. And the Bible has illustrations of God actually doing that. On one occasion, as you know from the Old Testament, David committed sin against God in that he committed adultery with Bathsheba and caused her husband Uriah to be killed. And in the Old Testament scripture, we read in 2 Samuel 12, 9 and 10 these words. Why have you despised the commandments of the Lord David to do evil at his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. What happened is, you know, the child that was born to David and Bathsheba died, and throughout his life, David was plagued by the rebellion of his own sons. God got David's attention, and yet the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And after this experience that I've described, God used and blessed David beyond anything that you could imagine. But sometimes God has to deal with us. And that's true. That's what we do with our children. When they don't behave, we punish them. Sometimes God disciplines us to punish us. Sometimes God disciplines us to protect us. On an occasion in the New Testament, we read this about the Apostle Paul. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now read that carefully and you discover that Paul got a thorn in the flesh not because of something he did. He was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him from doing something that he shouldn't do. God had given him some incredible revelations, some heavenly revelations. And God said, Paul, you're in jeopardy of getting a big head. You're in jeopardy of becoming arrogant and proud so that you don't do that. I'm going to give you this sandblasting that you weren't expecting. And Paul said God did that not because of something he had done wrong, but in order to keep him from doing something that he shouldn't do. Sometimes God disciplines us to punish us. Sometimes he disciplines us to protect us. But most often God disciplines us to purify us. And that's what the text in Hebrews chapter 12 is all about. Here we are going to learn that God sometimes deals with his children in a disciplinary way to bring them to a place of purity and holiness that he desires for them. Now the key word in Hebrews 12 is the word chastening. And you will find it there a number of times. Seven times actually in verses 5 through 11. The word chastening comes from the word paideia, which means child. And it is a picture of the training of a child. And all that goes with that, correcting and cultivating and educating children. And the goal in sight in training children is always that they might grow up and mature and be the kind of people that we want them to be. When God is chastening us, that's his desire for us spiritually. Malcolm Muggridge was one day recalling what he said to William Buckley on the subject of suffering. Here's what he said. As an old man, Bill, looking back on my life, 
It's one of the things that strikes you most forcibly that the only thing that's taught one anything in life is suffering. Not success, not happiness, not anything like that. The only thing that teaches one what life is about, the joy of understanding, the joy of coming in contact with what life really signifies is suffering and affliction. And I think about that and I look back over my life and I realize that God never teaches us must during times of prosperity. But adversity is a great tool in the hands of God. That he uses the difficult times in our life to grow us up. And if you examine that in your life, you will discover those times when you felt things were not good and things were tough and things were hard. That if you look back, usually it was during those times that you grew in your relationship with Christ. God is after that goal in our lives. And the reasons for God's discipline are three. Sometimes he disciplines us to punish us, sometimes to protect us, but mostly he does that to purify us. He does it to purify us so that we'll become the people he wants us to be. Those are the reasons for God's discipline. Let's talk for a moment about the reality of it. Notice what it says in verses six through eight. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now, what the writer is saying here is two things. Number one, the presence of God's discipline in your life proves that you are one of his sons or daughters. Isn't it interesting that the very thing that causes us to question God's love is the very thing that we ought to look to as the proof of God's love? Isn't it true when we're going through stuff and we're feeling the sandblasting in our lives, we say, well, how can God love me if he lets this happen to me? No, 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 you don't have it right. The very fact that you're going through this is the evidence that God really does love you and he's treating you like one of his children. In fact, the scripture says that he does this to us as sons. And the word that he uses in the text is a word for not little kids, but grown sons. As we grow in our faith, as we become mature adults, if we've been Christians for a while, we shouldn't be surprised when we experience some chastening in our lives. Job 5.17 says it this way. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. The very fact that you are being chastened, that you're going through some stuff, proves that you're a son. All men are subject to God's punishment, but only his children receive his discipline. When we are disciplined, we know that our Father loves us and we are assured that we are his sons and his daughters. The presence of God's discipline proves that we are his sons. Now notice that the opposite is also true. The writer says the absence of God's discipline proves that we are not his sons. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Let's just stop and think about this for a moment. If God were to give birth to us spiritually and then abandon us, he would be no more than a cosmic deadbeat father. But he does not do that. 
He gives birth to us in the salvation, and then he continues to father us along the way and guide us and direct us and help us in our growth as any human father who is walking in the path of God would do. So the tragic message here, men and women, is this. If we are not disciplined by God, then we are not his children. The writer of Hebrews says that God scourges every son whom he receives. And he asks this rhetorical question, what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And the expected answer is there isn't such. Not a single one of God's children will miss out on his loving discipline. There are a number of ways to know that you are a Christian. But one that is most often overlooked is the presence of discipline in your life. If somebody says, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I just had a little sandblasting this week. You know, God's been working on me. We usually use the Holy Spirit living within us in the joy of the Lord and we love the brethren and all that. But the Bible says one of the surest testimonies that you belong to God is that he is trusting you with some things in your life to teach you how to trust him even more. So isn't it interesting, men and women, that we have turned this thing upside down? We say that God doesn't love us because he's doing these things, and we ought to be saying, boy, he really must love me today. God must love me today because he's treating me as a son. And speaking of the reality of his discipline, this has to be one of the most obvious statements in the Bible. Look at your Bible at verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Can I get a witness? No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. How honest is the word of God? The word of God says when God is sandblasting, when God is chastening, when God is disciplining, it doesn't feel good. We don't like it. We resist it. All of us understanding that if chastening were pleasant, if it were attractive, it would have no impact on us. Chastening is grievous, it's painful, it hurts. It is never easy to appreciate discipline at the point of impact, amen? But there's a word in the text, don't lose it. Write it down again, draw a circle around it. Here's the word, it's the word afterwards. But afterwards, that's where the blessing comes. It doesn't come at the point of impact. The blessing of discipline comes afterwards. Isn't that the way it is with our children? I mean, nobody likes to discipline their children. I mean, they wail and cry and make you feel awful. But afterwards, hopefully it's better. Afterwards, you hug them and love them and tell them how much they mean to you and that you don't want them to be the way they are. And afterwards, it yields the benefit. So the reasons for the discipline of God in our lives are three. Sometimes to punish us, sometimes to protect us. Sometimes to purify us. And the reality of God's discipline is this. If you have it, you're a son. If you don't have it, you're not. (laughs) Let's talk about the reaction to God's discipline in our life. How should we respond to this? Verse 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Now, the writer is reminding his readers of something they have apparently forgot. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation? What was the exhortation? It's a quotation from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, a very famous verse to the Jewish people. They knew this verse, 
probably had committed it to memory, but how many of you know you can sometimes be so familiar with a verse of scripture that you forget it had something to do with you? And they had forgotten the exhortation not to be discouraged when discipline came. And then the writer tells us that we should be careful that when we are going through the discipline of God in our lives, that we react to it in the proper way. And what is the proper way? Number one, you can be indifferent to it. It says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. The word despise means don't take it lightly. Don't blow it off. Don't act like it's not important. Don't allow yourself to miss the benefit of this time. The writer tells us that we're not to react in this way. We are to remember that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And chastening is not judgment, it's discipline. Directed to his own children because of his love. God loves you, he always has and he always will. And in the midst of the discipline you feel in your life, you must not forget that. Nothing is more important for you to remember when you're going through the stuff than to remember that this is an evidence of God's love in your life. You can be indifferent to the discipline of God. Here's where most of us get caught, though. We aren't indifferent to it. We're intimidated by it. Notice, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. While there are some who are indifferent to discipline, for everyone who's indifferent, there's a hundred who are intimidated. They faint under the adversity that touches them. They don't know what to do. They are totally just overwhelmed by the things that happen in their life. I think David had a moment like this as he was writing one of his Psalms, Psalm 42, 11. He said, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. David was saying, I'm overwhelmed by what's going on, whatever it was when he wrote that psalm. Please understand, men and women, that God's discipline is given to help us and not to hurt us, to build us up and not to tear us down. And understand the heart of the Father as he is administrating this. Real love on the part of anyone stands against deception, stands against lies, stands against sin that destroys. If God were not angry over how we were destroying ourselves, then he would not be good and he certainly wouldn't be loving. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hatred is the opposite of love. And the epitome of hatred is indifference. So the very fact that God is dealing with you, that you are feeling these things in your life, that you're going through this stuff in your life, it's an evidence to you, it should be an evidence that God loves you so much, as we have often said, he accepts you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So he's gonna work on your life. He's gonna allow some sandblasting to get rid of some of the filth and dirtiness that we pick up in this world and restore us to the place where he wants us to be. We can be indifferent to God's discipline and we can be intimidated by it. We can even be ignorant about it. We cannot know what the Bible says and there are many people who go through life never understanding why God allows anything like discipline in their life. They just have been ignorant of it. They haven't read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you don't have to be ignorant. (laughs) If you read the Bible, God will tell you how this all comes to be. And many people who I know, they don't understand that God holds their breath in his hand and he owns all of their ways, Daniel 5, 23. Suffering is not the evidence of God's absence. Suffering is the evidence of God's presence. 
There is a way to accept and embrace and deal with suffering that will result in a better life, not a worse one. Amen. We have more of this tomorrow. This is really a very interesting part of this discussion because it's quite often true that when we are going through times of discipline, if indeed that happens, we wonder where God is. And someone once told me that God is never nearer to the vine than when he is pruning it. So when God is working on you and you know it's God, you should step back for a moment and uh, collect your thoughts, take a deep breath and give thanks because he loves you so much. He wants you to be better than you are. And we'll talk about that more tomorrow. In the meantime, let me remind you again, you can get the book Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss by simply sending a gift to Turning Point during the month of January. We would love to um, put this book in your hands. It's our way of saying thank you for investing in what we're doing in the teaching of the Word of God. We love doing this, but we also are very aware of the fact that we can't do it without you. If you don't help us, if you don't stand with us pretty soon, this starts to go away. We're strong now. You've been faithful. You're generous people. And every month I'm going to give you a reason to keep on keeping on helping us teach the Word of God. This particular month, the reason is Heaven Rules. Ask for it when you send your gift today. We'll get it out to you right away. You can be blessed by it very soon. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth and learn to find comfort and courage in this chaotic world. This powerful book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue... God loves you, He always has, He always will, here on Turning Point. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. E. Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary to India. He noted that the Indians were making an amazing discovery, that Christianity and Jesus are not always the same. 
Because Christianity has had a long history in India, many families and castes and villages were traditionally Christian, but they didn't always know Jesus. That is an important distinction to make in America as well. Growing up in a Christian tradition doesn't automatically make one a Christian. True Christianity is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sitting in church doesn't make one a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes one a car. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's definition of a Christian on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.